Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Join Graham McMillan and myself for our last episode of September, which finds us talking X-Men Red, Leviathan by Jason Shiga, Fantastic Four Full Circle by Alex Ross, the current comic events Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths, and AXE Judgment Day, but also much, much more in a handy two-hour audible format. We welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast.gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester, Graham McMillan, howdy-do. Howdy-do yourself. <laughs> Let me tell you, Jeff, I, you just missed me having a minor freakout. Tell what me not? more. You'll enjoy this as well. The story, the, the moral of the story is I'm stupid, <laughs> right? Um, early today, I gave this headset um, to Chloe because Chloe had a call to do. Hang on, I'm going to sneeze. Um, this is weirdly related to the story of myself. Uh, I get a good headset to Chloe because uh, Chloe had a meeting today, and Chloe starts the meeting, and then within like a minute, it's like your headset it doesn't work for my computer I was like okay fine like such is life didn't think twice about it got set up for this call tonight mm-hmm. did the Skype test call as I do every time and it didn't pick up anything Uh-oh. like the headset just didn't work like I could hear mm-hmm. but no audio was being I like rebooted the computer I rebooted Skype <laughs> I unplugged, I checked all my connections, I plugged back in. The one thing I didn't check was whether it was on mute. <laughs> Good job, me. Good I, job, Either you. I left it on mute or Chloe accidentally put it on mute. But mm-hmm. I suspect that's also why it didn't work for Chloe when, she, when they were talking. Oh. Yeah. Good Good job all round. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I was. I was like, we can't do the podcast. Like, oh, oh shit. <laughs> uh, why not skip extra context for this we're recording a day earlier than normal at my request so i felt especially bad if we couldn't do the podcast yeah right you'd be like "Ooh, oops sorry about like, that I completely fucked up jeff's schedule for nothing <laughs> for nothing <laughs> well no problems again, yeah. moral of the story is i'm dumb no well that's i mean I feel like that's uh, that's such a good moral to start with. I, I kind of feel like it. It's the sort of thing I usually spend all episode trying to ar- discreetly argue, Graham. So for you to kind I was of gonna say, I feel I feel we have basically like set set the rules in place right now. <laughs> uh, we are we are, if you will, a Jeff Johns comic rather than uh, <laughs> I don't know. Definitely, definitely a later day course. Jeff Johns comic. You're dumb. I'm exhausted. Um, yeah. So, uh, actually, you know what? Um, since I feel like for whatever reason, perhaps because this is a day early, we are just, you know, a little more clumsy than, than usual. But I, I got to say. In a way that we, I, I honestly, on Saturdays, we're kind of not. But on like, we both work today. Yeah. And I think both of us are just like, oh. <laughs> right. Exactly. We're like, ah, okay, I think I've got a sentence coming. Hold on. Clear the decks. No, no. Uh, I was wrong. Yep, uh, 
I got something. Yeah. I had a whole thing earlier, but I was like, I can't remember anything I've read in the last few weeks. You know, I kind of looked back and looked at my list, and I was like, ugh. I mean, there's kind of not much. Like, I don't know. I guess, I guess, you oh, know. I, I mean, you've been really busy lately. This is thing. Yeah, I mean, that's. Like, I, I would say you've been unusually busy lately. Yeah. Uh, in a way that, you know, you 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 normally, I mean, don't get me wrong, you're normally busy with your work a chunk. But mm-hmm. as part of that, you have a commute. Um, but also, you get your evenings yourself. And, you know, in the last few weeks, not to talk out of school, but, like, you've been traveling for family stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That That is definitely true. So that um, has, like, that has really hit your hit your reach, I think. Yeah. I, I think, sadly, there's certainly something to that. It's just, it's also, I don't know, it's sometimes the stars align, like... Uh, last month there was just a whole bunch of manga that I was into, that volumes that kind of came out, and then there was a little bit of the superhero stuff that I was kind of dipping my toe into, and I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of, you know, this is quote-unquote great. And I think we talked at least a little about some of the superhero stuff I had been reading, a lot of which through... Um, Marvel Unlimited, and then it's just kind of been sort of semi-blah. I will say, having said that, that um, based on the various um, kind of ex- absurdly good praise, I read the uh, the first three issues of X-Men Red, and um, which is, you know, written by uh, the... Uh, almost always great Al Ewing and uh, yeah, friends podcast Al Ewing. Yes, exactly. I was I was hard to I wasn't sure if I was going to go that far. I was like, sorry, Al. I hope I hope you don't mind. I just didn't want to, you know, be um, uh, what's one the word? one time listener of the podcast. That one time, exactly. Maybe <laughs> twice. I don't know. Um, anyway, first three issues of X Men Red really um, cool. Like I don't know. Like, I'm really glad that I read the Hoxpox setup, you know, because... And I'm, there's a whole bunch of other stuff I happen to know from talking about you, like, that Mars got terraformed and the whole Krakoa, Araka kind of thing. Um, oh, wow. Is this your first time back in the X-Books after Hoxpox? Yeah, basically. Like, you not read any of the stuff in between? No. No, I haven't. I, I mean, I say no, but I think I maybe read the first issue of the... Ongoing Hickman series, you know, right after Hawks Pox sure, and then sure, yeah. and then tapped out. So yeah, no, this is this is it. Um and in a way it's in that sense, it's really fun because it's clearly progressed but not enough to where I'm lost, but um it's just got a really kind of weirdly rich texture. You know what I mean? Like I'm sort of like Oh, I don't know what's going on, but it's kind of interesting. But I mean, I do know what's going on, but it's it's way more. I I think um, one of the things I of course like about Al Ewing is is the man knows how to plot, he knows how to do characterization, he can pretty much do the whole thing. So I I don't have that kind of wow. This is a very interesting PowerPoint presentation that I sometimes yeah, had yeah, with yeah, Hickman yeah. stuff. So I'm kind of like, oh yeah, this whole sort of grand fantasy novel kind of thing that is is kind of blown up i'm like wow this is to me it's really um particularly x-men red which is very much centered on what's happening on mars and so there's 
less at least so far there's not a lot of the like oh yeah but you know it's really important moon girl and devil dinosaur you know like it's mm-hmm. it's it's all very self-contained and and in that sense is kind of like oh i sort of feel like i'm i'm dipping into the the second book of an epic fantasy series about you know beings with superpowers like doing squabbling for power and position you know it's a lot of intrigue so far it's great first three issues like pretty, pretty I, I've, sweet. I've heard i i also have like what i've read of those like i've read those three issues of marvel unlimited um but also i know that people are really singing the praises of the uh judgment day tie-in issues of x-men red mm, mm-hmm. and having kept up with judgment day I can imagine what is in them, and mm. therefore I'm like, oh, that's I, I'm looking forward to them. I think they're going to be really interesting. Right. Um, what's interesting to me is because I've dipped in and out of the X books since Hawkspox, mm-hmm. and I think that you know, say we're on the second generation now. Right. Like I would say, they're sort of a, a first generation that honestly ends with Hickman leaving the books with Inferno. Mm-hmm. Right, and then you got a second generation, which I think it's under the I think it's called Destiny of X. Is the umbrella title they've got? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say those books are. It's a mixed bag, right? Because mm-hmm. I think the first generation of books were very across the board of a feel and of a quality level. Mm-hmm. You, had, you had minor variations. Mm-hmm. But basically, I feel they were so in lockstep that you kind of knew what you're getting from all of them. Mm-hmm. And I think in the second wave, X Men Red is really good. I think Gillen's Immortal X Men is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, otherwise, a lot of them are very similar to those that like you know first wave. Mm-hmm. But something like the New Marauders, I think, is actually terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's significantly worse than the book was in its previous incarnation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you've got things like like Duggan's X Men run because mm-hmm. he he Slash took the book over from Hickman and also like had a completely different comic that just happened to also be called X Men. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Because mm-hmm. his his X Men title and Hickman's are very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very different in terms of cast. They're very different in terms of intent. Mm-hmm. Hickman's X Men was I am basically writing a book with all of the mutants. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm writing a book that is uh, advancing meta plots, mm-hmm. but has a revolving rotating cast, mm-hmm. and you know, really, really depended on your goodwill for Hickman, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, and then Duncan comes along, and is like, I'm writing a book about a team called the X Men, <laughs> and they're superheroes, and they're in New York City, and there is like a a very particular through line for this comic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this team. And then at the end of, of that run, or the, I don't know if it's the end of that run that gets relaunched, or leading into the second Hellfire Gala anyway, the team changes. Mm-hmm. And there's literally a like changing of the guard issue, where half the team are like, yep, well, I'm leaving the X-Men now. You know, and then the next issue, people have been like, I've joined the X-Men now, you know? <laughs> um, but it, I, I, and again, I can't remember if the book does get relaunched, but it feels like a relaunch, mm-hmm. right? It very much feels like after 12 or so issues, he wraps up that book. And then, you know, the next issue, there's a new art team. There's mostly a new cre- a new uh, character lineup mm-hmm. with, like, I think three characters f- follow across. Mm. And the rest of the team's new. Um, and that's, 
that's fun. That's fun enough, mm-hmm. right? It takes on particular uh, plot threads from the Hickman slash you know Hawksbuck run, right? Specifically, M. Um, Orcus, which is like the human, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. organization that that exists in opposition, which shows up in X Men Red as well. Orcus, Orcus play up there as well. Yeah, uh, and also the just at least for the first year, does humanity know that X Men are are um, coming back from the dead? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's secret. But how long can it stay secret? Is mm-hmm. is a, a long plot thread. Um, and, and I mean, are you ever going to read these comics or can I spoil a bit? I, I mean, sure. I, I, depending, I, I think I think you're okay. I'm reading X Men Red. I might dip into Immortal X Men, but I okay. can't imagine myself jumping into <laughs> anything else really. Uh, so one of the things that I actually like about Duggan's X Men is it takes place in in New York, mm-hmm. and so Ben Ulrich shows up. Right, because he's a, he's a reporter. Right? right, he's like, "Hey, you guys are now in New York. That's interesting." Like, I am generally in favor of mutants, but at the same time, I know there's some weird shit going on because I've reported on the death of a couple of you before, and yet here you are. And yet here you are. Yeah. Right, and he basically figures it out. Hmm. He's like, "They're coming back from the dead," and they someone takes that out of his brain, hmm. and that's a recurring th- plot through the series. Because mm-hmm. Cyclops works that out himself, because he doesn't know what's happened, mm. and he's like, "Okay, so who did that?" Mm-hmm. And and like that's not okay, right? It's not okay to just take shit out of his brain. Um, and so that you know ultimately resolves itself at the end of the first year as well. But like things like that are interesting, mm-hmm. um, more interesting for me than like you know the Arcus stuff. Mm. It, it, the Arcus stuff, even in X Men Red for that matter feels very much like it is um, taking the subtext of, you know, hated and feared by a world they've sworn to protect mm-hmm. and into, like, melodramatic text, mm-hmm. you know? Because you literally have, like, humanity being, like, a group of humans being like, oh, no, mutants are bad, we must destroy them <laughs> with our human plans, <laughs> you know? And, like, to be fair, Duggan plays into the, like, Duggan knows how over the top that is. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like, they recruit Modok, <laughs> you know. So you have like two issues of Modok versus the X Men, um, and and to be fair, I think Al Ewing X Men Red is is approaching it in a more subtle way. Oh yeah, X Men Red X Men Red follows up from Sword, mm. which ran for like nine issues or something before mm-hmm. maybe eleven, uh, and it's a it's kind of a mess of a book. Mm. X Men Red reads like a coherent book in a way that Sword just does not. Hmm. Uh, sword feels much messier and much more like Ewing was like, I kind of know where I'm going, but I've got all these pieces that aren't in place yet. Right. And so I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to do something with this. I just haven't got my hands around it. Um, especially in one of the things I enjoy about X-Men Red is that it's a relatively political book. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a fun book. Mm-hmm. But it's a book where politics play a really heavy role. Oh, very much the so. The politics yeah. of Araco, but also the politics of uh, the politics of who calls themselves the X Men. The politics mm-hmm. of how how this country, uh, this country, this planet works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the politics of uh, sort of like the internal politics of how does like Brand interact with the X Men, pretending to be on their side, mm-hmm. when you know basically everyone knows that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's that's present in Sword, but it's present in Sword in a really messy way that doesn't come together. 
it feels that for me at least X Men Red is like a second draft where he sharpened everything up. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things is of course in, in Sword, Brand's allegiance isn't known until the end of the series. So Brand is just like shady, but right. you don't know like whether she's just shady or right. whether she, she is actively working against the mutants. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, just the reveal of that and knowing that I think helps helps X Men Red significantly. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think so. I think X Men Red plays very reads very well in the idea of um making it feel like ev- I guess rather than trying to guess, you know, who's on what side, it kind of has a a, a better hook of like these are the sides that everyone is on, but everyone is more or less in flux and in play. And everyone's more or less not everyone, but a lot of uh, a lot of people are trying to play one another or reacting to how they get played. So, yeah, in that sense, uh, I also, think I, it's sorry. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no, I was just going to say so. It's fun. It's more fun up front. I could see where finding out about Abigail Brand, where she's, where her goals lie at the end of six or nine issues isn't nearly as fun as everyone kind of calling her a bastard, you know, right on issue one. The, the other thing is I think X-Men Red has a better cast. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, Roberto is not in Sword at all. Mm. Magneto is not in Sword at all. Mm-hmm. And, like, those are two of the, the stronger characters for me in X-Men Red. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I mean, I, I'm not sure how much you followed Ewing's Avengers runs. Um, I did not. I didn't. Those are the ones that he co-wrote with Zub and Wade, you mean? No, no, I mean before that, when he was writing Mighty Avengers, which then became Captain America and the Mighty Avengers, which then split into Ultimates and, shit, another book. Secret Avengers? No. New Avengers. New Avengers was the other book. Right. Uh, And then I think that went into another book even. Like, he basically wrote the same cast of characters like core characters through these these different books mm-hmm. um and at some point roberto and sam from new mutants become like core al ewing characters mm. uh in this and past these books and honestly i think his version of roberto is fucking great yeah i really like his take on roberto mm-hmm. um and it was in place from as soon as he brought him into the avengers books mm. they basically have this guy who is machiavellian for good <laughs> Right. And, like, also incredibly cocky, mm-hmm. but cocky in such a way that, weirdly, he does back it up. Mm-hmm. But everyone consistently uh, underestimates him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so he gets to be, like, this smug, annoying dick who is also right and is also doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, which is it's honestly just, like, a really fun character. Mm-hmm. And a fun read. Um, and so it's fun for me as a reader who read those books to go, Oh, Al Ewing's got Roberto back and it's this Roberto. It's not right. the same Roberto that in like the new mutants book before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No? Like I like this version of the character. We, we talked when we were having their argument about human target about, you know, there are, there are takes on characters, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I like Al Ewing's take on sunspot is, is one I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, 
I like X-Men Red a lot, and I think it's much better than Sword, which I felt really disappointed by and felt like a bad Al Ewing fan because of it. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, the, the like, oh, I should like this more than I do. Yeah, very much. Yeah. And also, uh, it sounds like a weird thing, but like, I, I don't think I've made any secret on this podcast about being generally underwhelmed with the X-Men line. Right. Uh, and seeing, like, I really struggled with Sword a lot. I was kind of like, is the X-Men line so outside of my interest that it kills my interest in a writer who I genuinely love? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then X-Men Red comes along, and I'm like, oh, no, maybe he just didn't have it together, and now he does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could, could be. I mean, definitely... Um... I feel that um, in, in in a weird in a weirdly inter- in a way that I find both weird and interesting. As you know, I'm I'm not um, I'm not always on board the good ship Karen Gillan. You know, I think I maybe like mm-hmm. there's a much smaller portion of his work that I like than I feel like most people generally do. Um, and- well, definitely me. Gillan's another of these writers that I am much more on board of than you are. Yeah, and um, what I think is interesting is I'm also, you know, almost entirely the opposite with Al Ewing, where it's probably, I'm on board, like, most of the time. But I'm very aware that there is a way in which they are simpatico, you know what I mean? Like, I think they both enjoy what the other one does. It's very clear, of course, reading Ewing and some of his stuff that he has a lot of appreciation for, for, for example, Gillen's Loki series, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I really well off each other. Exactly. And so I really get the sense of with X-Men red, I find myself being like, you know, knowing the fact that Gillen's writing an X-Men book you know, and the big X-Men event makes me kind of curious about checking in on it. Um, so we'll we'll see if I can actually get my act together to do so. I find that, you know, Marvel Unlimited really is, it's such a treasure trove, but it I find it just a fucking pain in the ass to, to try and find anything now. Like, even... Getting, like, X-Men Red number three, I'm like, oh, great, right, this is out, I've got some time, I'll jump back to number one and and read it. And it was just like, I just felt like I was playing chess with the fucking UI, you know? It was like, god damn it, let me get to issue one. And it's like, oh, how about Keep this reading. title? You know, New like, series. yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, then, then do it. I, okay, so I, I, will, I will use your thing as a segue. Please. Uh, not about Immortal X Men, which mm-hmm. is I, I'm enjoying, but I'm enjoying because it's basically it's a well written X Men book. To be honest, it takes the um, it takes what Hickman was doing in terms of again the politics, but the politics of Krakoa, um, and infuses it with from for my money no small amount of camp and self awareness, which I think mm. Hickman was was missing. Mm-hmm. But I can also. Like that genuinely might not be your your cup of tea. Right. Uh, instead, I want to talk about Judgment Day, Axe Judgment Day, or, or Avengers X Men Eternal Judgment Day, mm-hmm. um, which I'm loving. I'm genuinely loving. 
it is probably at this point my favorite Marvel crossover ever. Wow. Um, and and one of my favorite event comics ever, superhero event comics ever. Um, in part because I wrote a thing for Popverse this week about basically like I love this comic because this comic has tr- like tricked me twice and I fell for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has these it has inbuilt narrative faints I a fall for and b really like having fall for like I, I it's one of those things where you're like well played not fuck you you know yeah right um, but also because you called it like the big X Men event and it's not and I find like it's it's on issue five of six issues mm-hmm. at this point and what is really nice is it doesn't necessarily read like a superhero event comic hmm. um i have and this might purely be me you can disagree with me the listeners might disagree with me i feel there's a rhythm to an event comic and specifically a marvel event comic these days which is there is a central franchise that is going to be served by the event right and other characters are going to cycle in and out of the background mm-hmm. right and you will be able to see throughout the entire thing, we are serving this franchise. We are serving this property. Right. And you could almost see pieces being put in place for like, oh, and this is the spinoff or this is the, the where we're going outside this. Right. So you get uh, more of the realms, which is clearly an X-Men thing. You get Absolute Carnage or King of Black, Venom. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, Dark Web that's coming up is clearly a Spider-Man thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, when it was promoted and when it was launched, Avengers X-Men Eternals Judgment Day was, it's an Eternals event and they're going up against uh, the X-Men. And the gimmick was the Eternals in in Gillen's sort of re-envisioning of them, which is a subtle re-envisioning, but but, uh, a meaningful one. Mm -hmm. Um, Eternals are individuals, but they're individuals that have been programmed by a machine. And the machine is Earth. Right. And their their mission is to protect the Earth. And as part of that, there are things that they actually can't stop themselves doing. Right? They, they, they only have free will to a certain extent. Right. And then programming takes over. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about this is the programming is um, they have to – I can't remember the exact phrase. But basically, anything that is deemed to be excess deviation mm-hmm. has to be destroyed. Right. Right? So in the lead up to it, you have uh, various things happening in the Eternals book where Thanos gets in charge of the Eternals. Mm -hmm. uh, Because Thanos is related to Eternals and basically like someone fucks around with his DNA and so he becomes an Eternal. And then he becomes the Prime Eternal, so he is ruling. Uh, And then at the end of the the Eternals series, spoilers everyone, they get rid of Thanos. They write Thanos out of the book. Um, but you have Druig in charge of the Eternals instead. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you get into Judgment Day and Druig is basically like, hmm, excess deviation, like mutants. Mm. Mutants are excess deviation. Mm-hmm. So we should kill the mutants because the mutants, because he realizes the mutants are resurrecting. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, we're the ones that stay alive forever. Right. We're the ones that resurrect. They're mm-hmm. going to be a, a threat to my power base. Mutants are excess deviation. We have to destroy the mutants. Mm-hmm. So the event starts, and you're like, oh, I know what this is. It's the latest Marvel like franchise versus franchise. Right. 
like thing. You know, we've seen in humans versus X Men, we've seen Civil War, we've seen you know all these things where it's like franchise versus franchise, who will win? Mm-hmm. Um, and by issue two, Gillen's just fucking dropped that entirely. Gillen is like, no, we've moved on. <laughs> That's Ooh. a boring story. I like here's my better one. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, it happens entirely organically in the comic. Because in the comic, you have, like, the Eternals are being, you know, manipulated to, towards this. The X-Men find out about it. The Avengers find out about it. And the Avengers are like, we're going to keep the peace because we're the Avengers. Aye. Right. And a group of Eternals and Mr. Sinister from the X-Men and Tony Stark are like, we just reanimate the Celestial that the Eternals live in, that the Avengers live in. And we get that Celestial to tell the Avengers, to tell the Eternals to back down. Mm. Hmm. because the Eternals worship the Celestials. Right. Job done. <laughs> and they, they animate the Celestial. Mm-hmm. And Celestial's like, fuck you, I'm a Celestial. I, you, you don't control me. I am now going to do what the first Celestial was doing in the Kirby series, which is I'm going to judge all of humanity. Mm. And you have 24 hours, and then if I decide you're not worthy, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And that's your, that's, you know, end of issue two, that's where the series goes. Wow. Which is, like, yeah. Eternals versus X-Men, gone. It's literally dropped. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Then you get two more issues of uh, the, this Eternal judging characters on an individual basis. Hmm. And so there's an echo of something like Original Sin, where you get, like, you know, he judges Captain America as being unworthy. Mm-hmm. Because Captain America represents America, and America is a flawed country that's not lived up to its own promise. Therefore, Captain America, by result, is unworthy. Hmm. Right? And he ju- does this for all for multiple characters. Mm-hmm. Right? And you get you get fun things like he goes to visit Doctor Doom, and Doctor Doom he says like you know are you, if you say that you're are uh, lesser than Reed Richards, I will say that you're you're worthy. And Doom basically tells him to fuck himself. Right, and so he's like, Doom decided he was worthy, so sure he's worthy. Hmm. Or you get like he, you know, he just decides Miles Morales is worthy because Miles Morales is trying to do the right thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then the end of issue four, because it sounds the second act, Gillen does two things that I love. One is a thread for the first four issues is Thanos's dad is there, and Thanos's dad is worse than Thanos because of course he is. That's how comics work. Mm. And Thanos' dad is like, make me the Prime Eternal, and I will take care of everything, because mm. I will just kill everyone. Mm-hmm. And midway through issue four, he gets released and he becomes the Prime Eternal, and it very much looks as if you know this is the next, this is the final arc of the story, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And instead, they defeat him in two pages. <laughs> Which is great. I love that they spent four ish, four issues building up to it, and then they defeat him in two pages, hmm. and it's easy. Like it really is easy, um, because the actual twist in the third act is the Eternal goes, "Oh yeah, no, I'm just going to destroy humanity because you've all failed." Hmm. And so that's the final act of the story. Hmm. And spoilers: in issue five, he fucking kills off a bunch of characters that you know, including wow. Captain America. Huh. Um, yeah, so so, it, but it is it's, it's it is going. You know what the story is, except you don't. 
right. I'm continually going to set up and play into your expectations and then take the other route. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Genuinely love that as a reader. Uh, it feels very much like Gillen is really aware of what you expect from these stories. Right. But has something interesting to do instead. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the most humanistic stories that Marvel is. Uh, it's definitely Marvel's most humanistic event ever. Um, in large part because there's a, a conceit throughout the series that every issue, he'll check in with six characters, just one panel each. Mm-hmm. And they're not superheroes. They're just like regular folk. Mm-hmm. And it's because as you discover like at the end of issue two, you've been reading narration from the Celestial all along. You don't mm-hmm. realize until the issue. That's this this thing, and Celestia was judging these six characters as well, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and what you basically see is when faced with apocalypse for all intents and purposes, and I mean that in the sense of like you know disaster, not in the sense of the X Men character apocalypse. Uh, but when faced with with like this certain death, when faced with the end of the human race, how do these characters re- react? And you know, Gillen's not subtle because he basically has the the eternal, uh, the celestial say, if these people have chosen to be kind and selfless, they're worthy. If they've not, they're unworthy. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's there's something about that and something about the way that these people are choosing to to display their selflessness or selfishness for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something for me really uh touching is an odd word to use but i think it's appropriate about the celestial's refusal to judge a child because hmm. one of the one of the characters is a kid mm-hmm. and then either issue four or five the celestial basically says e- everyone's fucked up this world for them like they didn't get to make a decision they didn't get to choose anything they've had, they've never had any re- meaningful choice in their lives right I can't touch them. Like, I, I'm not that cruel. Hmm. Um, but it's, you know, I, I know, I, I have been around long enough to know that, you know, the big name characters that have died are coming back. Sure. You know? Right. Uh, I know that Apocalypse is going to be averted. They're, they're not going to do anything meaning, to meaningfully alter the Marvel Universe. That's mm-hmm. not what these events actually do, as much as they pretend otherwise. Mm-hmm. But, the ride is great. The ride right. is really entertaining. It's smart. It, again, recognizes what you want from this story, mm-hmm. but also refuses to give it to you. <laughs> you know? And mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that. Someone who's read far too many of these stories. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I am. I'm finding myself really fucking enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Um, and part enjoying it because... It does not do what it says on the tin. And how many issues is it? Six. Oh, okay. So it's it really is almost about, over. It's just, yeah, it's just about to come on Marvel Unlimited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why? Was it bi-weekly? I'm sort of like, wow, if it's, it's six Yeah, it's, 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 well, it's, ah. it's been really weird. The release schedules are super weird. So, for example, issue four and five came out a week apart. Oh, wow. But now that issue five came out this week, there's a month's wait until issue six. Oof. Wow. And that's apparently by design. Hmm. Uh, Because there's also, like, a series of Kieran Gillen issue one-shots that come out between these two issues. Really? Yeah. 
like apparently the release schedule is has not been that fucked by by uh, supply chain because that was my thought. My thought was, wow, this release schedule is a mess. You know, I guess Marvel's really hurting for paper sometimes, but apparently it's it's not. Apparently this is intentional. Really? Like there was it's always meant to be one week between two of the issues, and then a month following it. Hmm. What are the one shots? Do you know offhand? Uh, it's it's like Judgment Day X Men, Judgment Day Eternals, Judgment Day um, Avengers. Ah, got it. Okay. Um, but there's, you know, the, uh, so Gillen's also writing sort of a side series called Deaths and Mutants, which is basically Eternals issue like 13 through 15. Mm-hmm. Because um, they, they, they cancelled Eternals with 12. Ah. Uh, oh, interesting. Uh, and then there's a, there's a Judgment Day Prelude, which Gillen has said outright was Eternals issue 13. Uh-huh. Uh, but then they turned it into like Prelude to Judgment Day issue 1 or something. Hmm. And Death to Mutants issues one through three are quite clearly the next three issues of Eternals. Because, hmm. um, like, Gillen's also writing an Immortal X-Men-like issue. There's, like I said, there's two X-Men Red issues that tie in. Um, the, 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 the crossovers have been relatively limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's been, it's, it's been a really fun event. It's been a really enjoyable, again playing against expectations, playing against expectations event that I have been, I've been, you know, really, really greatly enjoying. Wow, that's great. I do, I, I highly recommend it when it comes on Marvel Unlimited for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I, I will. I think as much as I, again, I'm, I think something like Eternals, I really loved, I genuinely loved, but mm-hmm. it might be arch for you. Because I think that sometimes Gillen gets a bit. I think Gillen does get a bit too arch for you, a bit mm-hmm. too like self-aware, mm-hmm. in a way like it is is disruptive to to what you're getting out of the comic. And one of the things that's that's successful about Judgment Day is it's clearly smart and self-aware, but not in such a way that it gets in the way of the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was watching um I was watching a review earlier of uh uh See How They Run. The 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 new Sam Rockwell film that's coming out soon. Mm-hmm. Uh and See How They Run is is a murder mystery and it's a murder mystery set in the mousetrap, the the you know, the long running West End musical written by Agatha Christie. Mm-hmm. And apparently it's incredibly self-referential and incredibly, like, it knows exactly what it is, but also it tells the audience what it is. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, in a way that, for me, I think I would find, like, just charming as shit. Right. Apparently there's a screenwriter character who, in a flashback in the film, talks about how much they hate flashbacks. Because <laughs> flashbacks always end with a scene that then says three weeks earlier, and then it cuts to a scene that says three weeks earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And, like, that's the sort of thing that I really appreciate Mm -hmm. but i think can sometimes get in the way of the story right because Mm -hmm. it's 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 over egging the pudding it's literally just it's being too smart it's going did you get how smart i am did you Mm -hmm. get how smart i am (laughs) and if you don't like the joke you just get pissed off by that right you know if you're not along for that sort of again joke that sort of sense of humor Mm -hmm. there is an element just being like fuck off already just tell the story right right and i think that one of the things I like so much about 
Gillen's Eternals is there is some element of that in there, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the narrator of the Eternals is the Earth. Mm-hmm. The machine that is the Earth, as it calls itself. Mm-hmm. And it is very... Um, I think I said this on the pod, on here before. It's like it's Douglas Adams esque at times. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to describe it, yeah. But again, sometimes that can get in the way of the story. Yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Uh especially if as Eternals does, you're trying to like provoke uh uh sympathy from the audience as well. You're trying to like tell a, a story that's paces. And when you have you know, the narrator be like, But what do I know? I'm just the earth. Right. That then I can get in the way. I can't step in the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think, and I'm you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that that's something that either you'd buy into or it will really annoy you. Yeah, you know, and I think I think that I think that pretty well captures it. Like I made it through the first Eternals trade. I talked about it briefly when I finished it up, but. It took a while. It was like three three continuous Hoopla checkouts, you know? And it was like I'd read an issue or I'd read two issues and then be kind of put it aside. And it, it wasn't until I really tried to power through and then it kind of got some momentum going and I got through it. And, and I liked it. And it's, um, it is, it's, it's interesting because, yeah, you're, abs- you're absolutely right. The Earth is the narrator. Um, there's there's points where it works really well for creating sort of a certain um, sense of poignant distance, I guess. And then there's points where, it, like you said, it's very very Douglas Adams esque. Uh, and then there was just points that I kind of just thought were like kind of too too um too too easily, cute yeah too cute exactly there there there's elements of too cute where i'm just like and eh, this is a little too easily self-pleased you know um but honestly i kind of feel that as time has gone on i think gillen has come closer for me to earning that like when it started it seemed a million times worse for me because I just thought that a lot of his stuff wasn't just kind of wasn't up to snuff. And then seeing him pat himself on the back for it, I was like, ugh, you know. But honestly, the last couple of years, he's he's done some really good work, and you know, has continued to work on that. I think there's, um, and so and so, yeah, it kind of split the difference. I actually finished that first Eternals trade, and I was like. Yeah, I really want to read more. So the fact that finding out that it was canceled at twelve, I was kind of like, "Oh shit! Oh well, bummer," you know. But except honestly, it wasn't because it it just continues as as this right. other thing. Like they stealth cancel it, but it really continues, right? Hmm. Like it 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 becomes Judgment Day and the associated crossovers. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, which in um, a way I think is better than. You know, it at least feels more organic than the sort of, you know, David Gabriel being like, okay, time for the next event. And I'm drawing, you know, uh, names out of a pot and they're going to fight one another to a death with boards. It's going to be the war of boards, board war. <laughs> I, I'm so tempted to be like snarky and be like, I'm talking of Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths. <laughs> um, which is funny because, again, I'm enjoying that as well, but it feels... Yes. 
it feels very much like uh, a different type of event, right? Mm-hmm. It feels very like self-consciously like honestly it feels very self-consciously like you're trying to write a sequel to crisis on earths yeah right um but doing so in such a way that it feels like it's doing it um i don't know i i was gonna say half-heartedly and i don't think that's true because like like i know josh williamson like josh doesn't write things like that half-heartedly right um but it's 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 an odd read. Again, it's an enjoyable read, but we're five issues in, mm-hmm. and the amount of actual narrative space traveled, right, feels very minimal. Hmm. You know, um, and this is, so so it's seven issues long, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and before issue one, the Justice League are killed. Spoilers, everyone. I say that like the last issue wasn't called Death of the Justice League and it was hyped to everywhere. Um, but issue one starts with the Justice League are dead. Who's going to step up and become the new Justice League? Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a result of the actual lead into the comic, which is what Williamson was doing on Robin, Deathstroke, Incorporated, and Batman, Deathstroke has A, kind of gone off the deep end, and B, become possessed by something. Mm-hmm. Right, so Deathstroke gets an army of supervillains who, spoilers by the end of issue five, are also possessed by the same thing, hmm. uh, and they are outright trying to kill the remaining superheroes. Mm-hmm. Outright, we meanwhile find out the Justice League is not actually dead. They've all been placed into dream worlds, but they are imagining their own dream reality, and that is being used to power the return of the multiverse. Mm-hmm. I have uh, questions. <laughs> questions is wrong I get what Josh is trying to do I get what mm-hmm. DC is trying to do the problem with going but the real story of Dark Crisis Universe is the return of the multiverse is maybe no one's paying attention the end of Death Metal was the return of the multiverse yeah right right it's the the difference quote unquote difference is uh, the definition of the multiverse is different Mm-hmm. Um, but it's different in such a way as to honestly be meaningless for me as a reader mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to fully explain the end of death metal brings back what is literally described as an infinite multiverse right okay mm-hmm. there and and things have shifted inside this multiverse but it's an infinite multiverse that's why infinite frontier is called infinite frontier Right. Right? It is no longer 52 Earths. Mm-hmm. There are an infinity of them. Right. The multiverse that comes back in Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths is the pre-Crisis on Infinite Earths multiverse. I intellectually understand the distinction. However, if you have an infinite multiverse, does that not, by implication, include... Yes, Right. The, yeah. the pre-Christ... Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, maybe it's not literally the exact same ones, but it is an identical, like, simulation of them. Well, yeah. I mean, that's it. I, it, it once you get to an infinite multiverse, then, yeah, they're going to be exact, exactly the same, because sooner or later, you will have exactly the same situation. It's yeah, just... Yeah, so, sooner or later, you will yeah. find that Earth too. Mm-hmm. 
you know what I mean? Like that that's right. what I mean. Like sooner or later, all of those earths, you're going to find one that's as near as Dammit. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, it's just I don't know. It 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 was it, it it's an odd like it's an odd thing to build to and also for it to be treated as a big event when the literal end of the last event two years ago right. was to my eyes the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Right. Um and also there's something strange about we've killed the Justice League, oh no, we've not. Because again, you as a reader know they're not dead. Mm-hmm. There is no way they're killing off the Justice League. You know that. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But the way they're brought back is literally just saying to the audience, you knew weren't, they weren't dead. <laughs> like, there's no sense of, of um, uh, revelation. Right. Right? You have Hal Jordan be like, I don't believe they're dead. And then he literally, because because of events happening in a crossover book, he literally just runs into the Flash. Mm. Like, literally. <laughs> because Barry Allen like gets woken up in an issue of the flash mm-hmm. which on the one hand hooray you don't have red sky crossover books i guess but on the other you then rob the main title of that moment right right so hal jordan is like i don't believe they're dead and he's right which you as the reader kind of knew mm-hmm. but you never get the closure of oh he's right <laughs> Because mm-hmm. he literally is just like, Barry, where are you? And Barry Allen is like, let me tell you, I've had some adventures. Let's go and get the other ones. <laughs> oh, dear. And I'm only vaguely paraphrasing. <clears throat> ooh, ooh. Um, that doesn't sound uh, yeah, convincing, I guess. For like, no, that's just, it's, a, it's the weirdest thing where I feel that it's being done because, like, Williamson knows that we've all read these stories before and we didn't fall for the, the deaths. Mm-hmm. Like, I get but in that both Gill and Williamson are aware of the tropes and aware that you're aware of the tropes, mm-hmm. I find Gillen's approach to writing around them to be more filling as a reader than Williamson's, right? Because Gillen is just like, I'm just going to go in the opposite direction. Right. I'm going to pretend I'm going to do this, and I'm just going to do something else. Well, and you're going William- to bail out early, too, and move on to develop a new story. You know. Yeah, and, and and Williamson is instead like, no, it is, but I'm also not going to give you the big surprise reveal because I know you won't be surprised. So I'll just treat it as if it's already happened. Yeah. But the problem is that as a reader, you you sense that loss, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you might not have believed it, but you still want the narrative moment of, and now we're closing the loop. Well, and as someone who read the first issue, I God help me, maybe the first two issues before I bailed. Um, I I think there's there is something to be said for if you're going to spend a major chunk of your first issue being like, oh, these are they are dead, and the world has gathered to mourn their passing. You know, you kind of have to have at least a slightly better emotional counterpoint to that right like um it does seem to me like one of the things that i thought was quote-unquote interesting about the premise for the first issue um was a little bit of the idea of like these superheroes are gone and so basically the supervillains in part you know channeled by deathstroke are going to take that that moment to really run amok 
and the the next generation this the heroes that have survived are struggling to kind of step up under that situation yeah, ha, ha, yeah. exactly you know. it's, it's how how do they step up how do they make their mark yeah and at least in the first few issues they don't right, right. They, they fail to make their mark that's that's kind of the point mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but so much is being done um, by implication, I guess. Right. 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 So much is being done by, um, like, off camera. Because again, mm. I, I think that, that Williamson is well aware of of what the reader, quote unquote, knows. Not in terms of what they've read. But what they know, like from their experience, mm-hmm. and so he's like writing around that. So mm-hmm. you get, you get like two issues of, it's you know, it's the next generation. Are they going to step up? No, they've been beaten to shit by Deathstroke. Okay, and then in issue three, you get instead of like a you know a, they find their their you know they find their groove and they come back. You instead have the Justice Society come in and be like, hey, you guys, can some old-timers lend a hand? Right. But that's not followed up on either. Mm. Right? Because, you know, again, this is not the first time this has happened in a DC event. And so you can, to some extent, write that story in your brain. But the problem is you're left to write that story in your brain. Right. Right. Like there is a hole in that narrative. Right. You miss the point where you do get, if nothing else, the emotional closure of, you know, Nightwing or whoever going, thank fuck, I feel out of my depth here. Right. And here's someone older to step in. And then, like, and then the heartwarming moment of, you know, Jay Garrick or Alan Scott or someone being like, no, you've got this Nightwing. Like, right. I believe in you, and if I believe... Like, I believe you, and Batman, he's dead now, but he loved you. You know, it, it's all... Again, it's all cliche. You know it. You can write it in your brain. Sure. But you also need it. Right. Like no, you, I... Yeah. And the story. Right. Because otherwise, you're just left with this hole. It's funny that you mentioned right? the Red Skies issues, because I do feel that, um, you know... <laughs> Uh, back when I was following DC events, which was literally decades ago, because it was just whatever, catch them, miss them, whatever. But, you know, I definitely remember pre, certainly pre uh, New 52, if not pre the year 2000, there was a certain level of like, okay, we're diagramming out these big crossover events. and And it always... There was usually the feeling that something like the story was always happening somewhere else, you know. Like if you weren't careful, you got a crot, you got the 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 event title that more or less was just a bunch of signposts. Like, oh yeah, you know, now that John Constantine and Detective Chimp are dating the same woman, what's going to happen there, you know? And then you, yeah, yeah, but it. But at least that stuff was signposted, and then the writers were 
not always thrilled to be tasked with, but at least the, as a reader, you managed to get, you could chase down you, the yeah, bigger moments. You could get the story you wanted, right? Exactly. In I, theory. I mean, think about, and also there, there was a whole part where they, they were doing annual crossovers. So mm-hmm. you had like Army of the One or, or Eclipse of the Darkness Within. Right. Where you got an issue one and an issue two. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing in between. And issue one is like set up. Oh no, shit's gonna happen if I don't do something. And right. then it's like follow this into Green Lantern Annual seventy two, you right. know. Um, and then issue two is like all this shit happens. How do I wrap it up? Uh, and so you did get things where like everything took place in a different book, right? Right. Um, but but you you know here it feels like everything is taking place in a different book. But as the as someone reading these other books, it's not. It's not. It's totally not. Like, the first two I'm issues a- of of uh, Dark Crisis feel like an incredibly huge storyline that, as you mentioned, is heavily, squarely on uh, Nightwing's shoulders. And, you know, as someone reading Tom, Tyler, Tom Taylor's Nightwing... I'm really glad that he's not tasked with having to tell that story. Yeah, exactly. You know? you're, you're like, I'm glad there's not like the book has not been hijacked by Dark Crisis for six yeah, months. Yeah, exactly. It's, okay, but at the same time, so you've read the first two issues, right? I think so. Yeah. Um, by the end of issue four, which I think is the last one to come out, mm-hmm. um, you know, the multiverse comes back in the end of issue four. Right. Okay. Uh, you've seen Pariah Prize doing his thing. Right. The solicit for issue seven came out last week. And the solicit for issue seven is literally now that the dark, the dark, great darkness has been taken care of, it's time to meet with the real villain, Deathstroke and his dark army. Mm. And part of me, was, and Nightwing's on the cover, so I, like, I guess it really is about Nightwing, maybe. Right. But I'm also like, wait, so that means you have like two issues to take care of what is ostensibly the engine of the story mm-hmm. but also Deathstroke's the real villain because it was at least my understanding that Deathstroke was possessed by the Great Darkness right, right. do you know what I mean like, yeah. so what, you know there's some level of like what De- what is Deathstroke possessed by right. in that case um, which again on one level is a faint like Gillen's doing in Judgment Day mm-hmm. but on the other level doesn't feel earned in the same way Right, right. It feels mm-hmm. like it's it's, and again, maybe these next two issues are going to completely turn me around. Maybe issues right. five and six are going to completely turn me around. Mm-hmm. And I know that between issues four and issue seven, there is a bunch of one shots that are extending the story outwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of me is also like, wait, <laughs> but, but what is, for want of a better way of putting it, what's the story about? Mm-hmm. I've said on here before that one of my problems with Jeff Johns' Flashpoint Beyond is I don't know what that comic's about. Right. And I'm not I'm not be I'm not playing dumb. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not being sarcastic. I don't know what that comic's about. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like and I've read whatever it is, four or five issues, however many issues there have been. I've right. read them all. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what the comic is about mm-hmm. because it feels like it has no subtext. And it feels as if the disparate parts are disconnected. Mm-hmm. It feels it feels like it's about Jeff Johns just deciding he wants to do something with these particular characters, mm-hmm. and that's it, 
right? And the problem is the by issue four of Dark Crisis and Infinite Earths, I'm beginning to have that feeling about the series too. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the series about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I've read the interviews, I've talked to Josh. I know that for him, it's about like the legacy of the DC universe. Mm-hmm. It's about the idea that the characters are part of a lineage, right? It's about the the idea that the DC universe has to evolve and can't just continually default to factory settings. <laughs> but I don't see that in the comic. Yeah, the comic really sounds like it's like like you said to to the extent that the story you know, is doing sort of what you expect and you're putting in the work of writing it, um, what you're writing it to is exactly to those those default factory settings, right? Like well, no, you're kind I, of like... Actually, actually, I'd argue it's not. I'd argue the comic is not writing to those factory settings at all because it is putting the focus on, like, you know, um, Superman Jr. I know that's not his name, but go with me here. Um, and, like, you know, uh, Damien mm-hmm. and... and and Nightwing, and it is, it's, it's focusing on the quote-unquote the second generation. I understand right. that, mm-hmm. right? And it has, for all intents and purposes, either, when it's featuring characters or that, they're either the Justice Society who are, and have been for, for decades now, like firmly in the mentor role as opposed to like the active, right. uh, you know, members driving a narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, or in the case of Justice League, like literally just written the last age. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I understand that, but again, for the idea to say, like, you know, this is about establishing the importance of legacy in the DC universe. Issue four is literally the midway point of the series. Mm-hmm. That I have not seen those legacy characters uh, not only have a win. I don't want them necessarily to have a win because, again, it's halfway through the story. Mm-hmm. But I want them to do something more than feel sorry for themselves or feel as if they have no agency. Yeah. No, exactly. I mean, that was the other thing, not like I was necessarily paying attention very closely, but again, you know, Tom Taylor's writing Nightwing and he's writing Superman Jr. And so seeing those characters be written in Dark Crisis in ways where, where, you know, Tom Taylor is doing that Tom Taylor thing and sort of very much um turning them like toward the light you know the the storylines are skewed very positive and about mm-hmm. them you know essentially having faith in themselves in their community and things and so the sort of the it, it's such a it's a really nice tonic uh an antidote to how the majority of a lot of these comic stories have been going. And so then to pick up uh, Dark Crisis and the first couple of issues is really on the, oh, we're thrown, we're lost, we're miserable, we've got these shoes to measure up on, and we can do it, or can't we? No, no one seems to believe in us. Maybe we can't believe in ourselves. And and, and it just, I was kind of like, I mean, A, blah, and B, kind of like, again, it's just like, well, but these aren't the characters. I mean, again, it's just, it's one thing when it's like, oh, okay, this book doesn't tie into the main title, the main Nightwing title or the Superman Junior title. 
that in a way is fine, but it's it's that weirdly esque. Um, I mean, God, God help Josh Williamson. In some ways, it reads a little more like Secret Wars, you know, where Jim Shooter's kind of like, I know how to write these characters. Wasp, hussy, Scarlet Witch, hussy, Spider Man, Smart Mouth, Iron Man, hussy. I got it. I'm on it. We're on to issue two. I. I, if this is your new Jim Shooter impression, can we just do this every week? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I gotta admit, I have been rehearsing it, but it felt right. But you know what I mean? Like, there's kind of that thing of like, I remember reading Secret Wars and being like, ah, these characters are a little off model. Like, you know, some of them are on it, but Shooter's very much like, I know who this character is, and you guys are just going to have to shut up if you don't like it. Because I, I, I'm the guy in charge, and I'm going to say yeah, yeah. that, you know. I'm the boss. Yeah, I'm the boss, so if I say the Hulk has a very, very strange obsession that I'm going to reveal in issue 8, that's on me. Um, And so similarly, Josh Williamson kind of does have the, like, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is a story that one can tell with these characters, but it doesn't necessarily feel like it's the right time to tell the story about the characters, I guess. And, and even necessarily when it felt like, you know, it, 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 there, there is that point of like, if it, if it all feels um, a little too manufactured, and I think that was my problem was reading the first few issues of Dark Crisis, is I felt like everyone was kind of being, you know, the term plot hammered, being hammered in to place to fit the plot, whether that was actually kind of their original shape, and uh, so it's kind of interesting that like four issues in and again part of me is, as you point out like there's got to be a bigger reveal than the multiverse coming back because again you know josh williamson was the dude writing infinite frontier that was all like hey yeah. infinite multiverses you know um that's, okay that's the other thing that is annoying me isn't the right word because i'm not annoyed mm-hmm. but took me by surprise shall we say it took me mm-hmm. by surprise in such a way that I was like, wait a minute. Um, <laughs> I had been operating under the expectation of Dark Rise and Infinite Earths is the final act of a trilogy. Mm-hmm. That when Infinite Frontier, Justice League Incarnate, Dark Crisis. Mm-hmm. And the more we get into Dark Crisis, the more I'm like, oh, there's a further chapter. Mm. And part of me is like, how many middle chapters are there in this story? <laughs> Right, right. Well, and I think that is the thing that that worries me. I think you know it was definitely. I want to say it was Chad Nevitt. Chapters, right? Who who pointed out that once Bendis's events just you know sort of introduce the usher in the beginning of the next event, like you said, it sort of starts feeling like all middle when you're doing that. You know, um, yeah. You know, it's, it's after a while, just the unending crescendos just sort of become the new default uh, annoying fingernail tapping on the table. Um, you know, uh, speaking speaking of which, at the risk of pivoting us away, I wanted to ask no, if p- you read us. something. We, been... yeah. yeah, no, pivot us, please. We've been talking about, like, superior events for the last, like, half hour. Oh well, which we never do here. It's, it's totally true. Totally okay. true. 
Um, I sort of wanted to talk about another superhero. I don't know if you would call it an event per Are se. Are you say Spenders Beyond? Uh, uh, no, no. Why did you okay. read it? And I you're did, like, I, no, yeah. I've not. But I know that you did at least read the first issue, and you really liked it. I, that's I why I thought. I we're did. Gonna... Yeah, and this. Okay. I think I read the second issue. I thought that was also pretty okay. Uh, no, I wanted to talk about uh, Fantastic Four Full Circle by Alex Ross, uh, which you know oh, part I, I, of the yeah, Marvel Abrams thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so let me tell you, Graham. The other thing that I realize is, I think I mentioned like last, you know, very busy this this month, but also like. A lot of a lot of a lot of sideshow Bob walking into rakes as far as the reading experiences goes. You know, you know, just last week we did a drock and it was kind of shocking that we were like, uh, this case files is uh not 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 especially good. I will say when we were talking about that whole like, oh, I feel like a bad fan, you know, Jason Shiga has a new book out, Leviathan, uh, which I think is the first book in a series. Um and it's it's very much in the style of Meanwhile, where he sort of sets up a sort of choose your own adventure kind of comic book where you go from page to page panel to panel and you get choices and things and uh i was like oh boy ah because let me tell you demon i just can't get enough of that and i'm so glad that jason chica's got this so i went got it practically on release day and then i was like ah nah that was i guess uh, i don't know i guess that's great if you want a book that teaches you that is able to recreate the experience of wandering around aimlessly in a video game. Like he really was able to, to capture recreate that in comic book format. I'm like, I'd like to think there were, there's larger vistas ahead for him to conquer. But then also like a lot of people seem incredibly hepped up on fantastic four full circle. And I'm like, Oh boy, I, I too would like to be hepped up. Oh boy. Oh boy, yeah, and oh, dude, wow. uh, that's uh, people are like I. I this sounds much meaner than it's meant to. People are genuinely excited about Fantastic Four Full Circle. Yeah, it seemed it seemed like there were a number of people that were just like, "Oh my god!" Like, look at the art that he's doing, and holy cow, look at this storytelling, and you know, Zhao oh, Pao, wow. right? And I'm kind of like, ah, this is, uh, I mean. I checked it out from Hoopla. I definitely think that if people Honestly, are... that's probably the right way to do it. I think so, because A, it was if, free, if you but... If money, I would have genuinely felt bad for you. Yeah, right? I mean, but I also think that there there is something to be said for maybe there are people who, like, really appreciated reading it as a physical book, and that comports something that the digital thing misses but i have to say Graham, part of me is like wow like it would be overkill to to um resurrect baxter building to do an issue where i mean because it sounds like you didn't like it any more than i did or oh no i i um i was honestly kind of shocked at how uh sort of light and non-existent it feels like is that is that fair? Would you agree with that or not? I I I'm very much of the opinion that it is. I mean, it's pretty enough, I guess. But like, especially in terms of writing, holy cow! 
And Jeff's gone. Shit. I don't know how I hit mute, but uh, thank you for. I, I, me I love that you did. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, as I was just saying, like, it, I feel that writing wise, it's, it's just a fucking disaster, to be honest. Well, yeah. So, okay. So, listeners, if you don't know, as part of Marvel's deal with Abrams, Alex Ross has turned out a fully self contained. Uh, Fantastic Four book. In some ways, particularly with the little two-page origin at the front, it sort of reminds me of the books that he and Paul Dini did uh, for DC, where the idea is to take take a character um, and essentially define, like, hey, this is who they are. This is almost like a prototypical adventure that they have, and this is Alex Ross, like, busting out what Alex Ross wants to draw and likes about the character. Um, and I think, I think the hardest thing for me is, like you said, the writing is hard. And I also think that there's a degree of, um, like it pushes weird blasphemous buttons uh, for me. Like I personally think, and, and call me dumb, and and if and probably inaccurate, but as far as I can know, no one put down reading um, the epic "This Man, This Monster" by Stanley and Jack Kirby, and was like, "Oh, you know, it'd be great a sequel to that." You know what I mean? Because yeah. it just no, seems... no, no. It's it's it, I I my jaw dropped when I got to that part for real. Yeah, right. I was just like, "Oh, I really?" Was like, "Oh, is that what we're doing?" Right? Really? Yeah. And yet, I also 100% can believe that somewhere Alex Ross was like, I am really channeling the spirit of what Kirby would have done. Right. Right. Yeah. So. Like this one time Kirby character that even Kirby wasn't interested in using again, or for that matter, giving a name to. Like, you know, I, I. Someone, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Douglas Wolk once pointed out that, like, there is a name for that character because his brother showed up in a later Marvel comic. Oh wow, that's funny. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, I I just I think I so I think that um, for people who sort of know Alex Ross, I think uh, particularly with his Marvel work with uh, Earth X and the the sort of X trilogy, I think one thing I appreciate about him is is that he likes taking various elements uh, within a comic book continuity. And stitching them together in a way that's kind of like, hey, this is sort of a larger tapestry that sort of says something larger or interesting or reflects on the characters to whom it's happening. And I'm I'm really impressed at how much uh, Fantastic Four Full Circle manages to miss the mark on that while ostensibly doing it. Because it's very much like, hey, it's the Fantastic Four and they're going into the negative zone. And I'm going to bring, like, major characters and themes and ideas about the negative zone, and I'm going to take them and explore them one step further, but what I'm going to do is make sure that this is absolutely as boring as possible, but I am willing to do bizarre, almost Simon Says-esque layouts that don't really work for the purposes and i will throw in overly garish coloring just 
just to keep you on your toes. Um, and and I was I was just like, this really feels like a huge mess to me. So I, and, and I was, as you know, I love the negative zone. I love the fact that that Ross is for the most part trying to tell a story, telling tying things together about negative zone, and even I think making a weird point at at the end of it that completely is not the point that he was intending in like classic, like it's one of those few times where I'm like, is he actually saying X and Y, or am I reading too much into it? I'm like, I've got to be reading too much into it. The rest of this seems to just the fact that they're Wait, like, now, Oh, now I'm curious. What do you think? What do you think he's saying? Oh, okay. Well, so listeners, uh, essentially what happens is Reed Richards, Ben Grimm, the rest of the FF, they go into the negative zone after the body of the dude, Zarkov, Zarov, whatever his name is, who was the this man, this monster guy who had swapped uh, bodies with Ben Grimm and taken his place, goes into the negative zone and instead of killing Mr. Fantastic, becomes so imbued with sort of Ben Grimm's noble essence that he instead sacrifices himself. Um, and uh, the MacGuffin of that character corpse showing up in the Baxter building filled with uh, Uki negative zone critters sends Reed, Ben, Sue and Johnny into a whole slew of hijinks at the end of which ends up with them actually meeting the genuine guy who, um, as well as another super team on a, uh, antimatter version of earth. Um, which they're finally able to sort of meet and come together. For whatever reason, Reed Richards on the last page of the story, um, after they've all gotten safely back to the Baxter building, was like, you know, I've been thinking about it, and since I'm a scientist, that means that I'm going to make huge pronouncements without a shred of proof, and everyone's just going to have to believe me. The negative zone is psychoactive, which is to say... um, it literally shifts and changes depending on our consciousness. And uh, Ben's like, huh, okay, why are you bothering me with this crap? Why can't we just, you know, like, does, you know, kind of like, can't we just go to bed? The point that I don't think Alex Ross was making is that essentially the first half of the fan FF's trip into the negative zone is literally a negative zone and is filled with basically all the um, rejected parts of Reed Richard's psyche. Like this is a thing that I've of course talk about with the negative zone all the time that Kirby really seemed to be playing with the idea of both this, the, the shadow self always ends up being this big thing with, with Reed in the negative zone while Kirby's doing the stories in a real classic Jungian sense. Um, The first half of the book is basically like we're in Reed Richards negative zone where it's all evil scientists. It's like Janice, this dude from like a, a totally unremembered FF annual, I think who, you know, is there, like, has brought them all down to torture and tear them apart, and reads like, you're not even alive, you're just a ghost of a ghost of a ghost, and, you know, Janice disappears, and they have to sneak past um, Annihilus. 
but then they get to the point, the threshold of the, the antimatter earth. And because Reed has for a change, put different suits on them, they all get to go down to this earth and they meet the Ben Grimm's, you know, this man, this monster guy who, for whatever reason, which is barely explained and not very well, has survived his descent across the 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 barrier of matter and antimatter destruction that surrounds this planet, is protected, taken in, and has essentially become a protector. Uh, so I guess what I'm going I'm saying is is on the last page, Reed is basically saying, yeah, the negative zone is psychoactive, and everything that's associated with Reed is all like evil scientists and, and, you know, bad bug crawling methodical nightmare stuff. And Ben, who is, um, you know, kind of basically secretly a sweetheart is the guy who his side of the negative zone is filled with like basically an evil scientist that turns good and just more or less discovers another planet where everyone are heroes. And then at the end of it, you know, Reed does some other cool things so that, that Zarkov can actually go from being an isolated hero in an antimatter suit to actually being able to be human and interactive. And so essentially even there you get, Reed being able to solve the Ben Grimm-like situation for the Ben Grimm doppelganger that they couldn't do on Earth. So in other words, all of the stuff that Ben, just as Reed pushes all this other bad crap away and you don't really see it, the really good sweetheart side of Ben Grimm turns the negative zone into this overwhelming positive point of positivity. And again... I don't think Alex Ross really meant to do that, but I don't know. Does that make sense? Does that sound kind of crazy? Does that jibe with, with how the book goes? You'll or be absent from that. I also just muted myself and didn't realize. Oh, okay. Thank God. <laughs> um, I, I think you're right in that Alex Ross didn't mean it. I also think you're right that I think it's there. Um, It's just that... Okay, thank you. <sighs> I think that there's a lot in this book that is Alex Ross, uh, I don't want to say settling scores, but there it very much feels like if I was in charge of the Fantastic Four, yeah. this is what we'd be doing. Mm-hmm. And in a way that is honestly kind of sad, <laughs> like it feels... <laughs> I, I, I mean, am I wrong in that? You don't, you don't get a sense of like... It, it's someone who is very devoted to the Fantastic Four they grew up in, but seems to have missed the the spirit of adventure and invention that Kirby in particular brought to it. Does it not feel weirdly uh, reductive and, and repetitive in a way that the, the comic did not in the very era that, that Ross is, is slavishly recreating? Yeah, well, I mean, hmm, I, I can see that point. Um, I I think that that is, how do I put it? I I I feel that so much of the time that um, I I feel like the Fantastic Four, at least from our time reading the reading Baxter Building, more than any other, is a book that feels. Um, constrained by 
it's the height of its, its success. Yeah, and its history. Yeah. And so it's very – I feel like it's very hard for people to sh- sort of shrug off that history yeah, but this um, feels like this feels this feels like the most nostalgic Fantastic Four we've seen in years. Uh, well, again, I'm not reading slot stuff, but yeah, I definitely think that. I mean, the thing that like there's like the kids are barely mentioned, whereas of course they're like a much stronger element in like slots run or even you know post Wade Waringo. I think they're kind of an element that you you know either love dealing with or more or less have to deal with. But for for me anyway, I you know perhaps it was like it was fine that those characters were discarded. But I mean, like, like, like the sense that it is incredibly retrospective is the fact that that Sue Storm like does nothing. She barely says anything. Like Alex Ross's idea of drawing no, her invisible is not to draw her. No, no, I know exactly, that's and I think like it feels yeah. Like- the most, the most retro-aggressive Fantastic Four, right? Like, in, in living memory, mm-hmm. right? And so it, it feels very much like Ross is like, "This is how to do the characters right." And honestly, it's kind of a nightmare. Hmm. 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 Yeah. I mean, yeah. I. I see. And so part of me is like, I don't know if it was like I want to draw the Fantastic Four and I want to draw all this stuff and I've got these ideas that I think are cool, which I think, you know, is there is a certain element of which Alex Ross, if nothing else, is kind of like, you know, that's kind of who I am. That's kind of what I do, you know, and and I think I think there's an element to that. But uh, yeah, no, I I I thought I, I don't know if it was petty so much as I think it like you said it it was it it is um slavish um in in multiple senses of the word it's slavishly devoted to that Lee Kirby era and um just I mean you know there's no reason like if you squint really hard you could totally see how Jerry Conway and Rich Buckler inked by Joe Sinnott would more or less tell this story, except I think it would be more interesting. There would be more. Yeah, it would be faster going on. Yeah, yeah, it'd be faster. There would be uh, there'd be more actually happening. There'd yeah. be more of a story for a better way of putting it. Right. And honestly, it wouldn't be so much like, do you remember this character from issue seventy-seven? What about yeah. this character from issue fifty-four? Yeah. In, in the oh, wait, this this comic feels just astonishingly trapped by the past of the franchise. Well, by the past of the franchise, and also there's part of me that's like, by a very specific kind of duller side of the past. I mean, part of me is like, I'm sorry, I always appreciate watching the thing punch stuff, you know? And the sequences, the quote-unquote action sequences in this book are... There's no sense of of really what's happening, where anyone is, what really can sort of be done by it and about it. Like when they defeat Janice by virtue of like doing a thing or two, maybe it just doesn't make any sense. He just sort of seems to capture them like there's just a whole bunch of hand waving when you get to that. And I'm like, hey, back in the old days, they'd at least punch a guy and Ben Grimm would say it's clobbering time. You know what I mean? And so moving away from that, the Fantastic Four full circle 
actually felt like the world's most boring amusement park ride, like something that you would basically get at like the New York World's Fair, where it's like you just you get on on page one and you're strapped to the cart and then it takes you through the negative zone and oh now it's spooky oh now it's interesting but everyone is just there's not really a sense of agency and there's a lot of like there's a there's a whole scene where they're like oh it's an annihilist let's creep by him oh he's eating it's ooky and of course you know, Alex Ross is like, mm, I'm breaking this out, breaking out the nausea vision, you know, coloring process. This is awesome. And and I, you're just like, this has, it literally, it, like everything else in the book, it kind of felt like it had no purpose other than, you know, I guess Alex Ross wanted to draw it. And again, he had some sort of point to maybe make about the negative zone or not. Um, but it was just such a weird downer like it really was kind of and, and part of it is who knows again maybe i'm looking at the wrong people on twitter who were like this is awesome or maybe understandably they were just super excited because i mean if nothing else it does not look like every other comic book on the stands and i know there are people who are pretty excited by that you know sure i get that but again it also doesn't look particularly exciting i i mean i'm with you there like, i'm it's, yeah it's it's it is definitely different and it's definitely honestly a new direction for for alex ross both of mm -hmm. which good for him right but at the same time it's while i applaud his uh oh why don't i do like flat mid-century coloring mm -hmm. the, he's his work is still missing like a particular level of honestly life mm -hmm. you know dynamism and motion mm -hmm. and and feeling that it's not been like thought out to within an inch of its existence you know right. and i i fully acknowledge the uh the influences he's going for right he's very mm -hmm. clear about it like you know it's very it is literally very mid-century but i'm also like and then i looked at you know what greg smallwood does for human targets and i was like oh that's more interesting well, you know, you know what's interesting is Greg Smallwood actually gives a shout out to this book in his relatively amazing Twitter thread where he talks about how he developed his the coloring style for Human Target. And and in the course of talking about it, talks about speaks super highly of of this Alex Ross FF book. And I was like Oh, okay. Well, yeah. All right. People are really on this thing, and a few other people I see on Twitter that I respect and admire, and I was like, who know what they're talking about? So, so it's funny that you mention it. I was like, oh shit. Well, if Greg Smallwood is talking about the style that how he went about searching and developing the style that led him to his style on the Human Target, and then walk us through his coloring, his coloring process, his his illustration choices. Um, yeah, by all means, count me in. And then I get to it. I'm like, wow. Well, I mean, you know, this is definitely but, but some terrifying. The human Target came out before this book. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, he did. But Greg Smallwood did a th Twitter thread just like th four days prior or something like that, talking about his process, in part to hype up the upcoming New no, 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 I get, I get that. I guess what I'm saying is, like, how, how can a book that has just come out 
have been an influence on something oh, that came out? No, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, 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 no. Uh, uh, sorry, I explained that poorly. Smallwood was talking about a variety of influences that led him to uh, the style that he worked on in The Human Target. And then he talks toward the end of that thread about other artists trying to do the same thing or working on similar discoveries and giving shout outs to them. And one of them was Alex. Okay. Ross. Okay. I, 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 I got you. I got you. Sorry. 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 Well, yeah. no, 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 that was me being an idiot. So yeah. Um, I mean, good, I guess, but yeah, I, <laughs> I think the small woods and, and like, um, uh, Dave Stewart on, on, uh, new frontier, uh, I, I think there are people mm-hmm. who do exactly what he's trying to do. Right. But just infinitely better. Mm-hmm. Just infinitely better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I definitely am not going to challenge you on that. But, so yes, I kind of feel like part of me is like, I'm glad we had this little talk because between this and... Jason Shiga's Leviathan, which I was all ready to stump for when I purchased it. I guess I just like shit comics. (laughs) I guess so. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I guess I don't like good comics. And I guess, you know, I guess maybe this is why I'm not reading comics as much. I don't know. You know, so yeah, it was a very, very weird experience being like, oh, this is going to be great. No. All right. How about this one? Uh, uh, what? This is widely praised. Also no, Jeff, no. you're going to dislike yeah. that too. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, um, and and so on that very note, Graham, I know that listeners, again, as as you may <laughs> well know, at the beginning, Graham and I said like, hey, we're, you know, we're doing this one. We're recording this one a little early. We both worked full days. And we are probably going to. I, I should say I did. I did not actually work a full day today. I have worked a part day today. But your point stands, Jeff. That's no. Okay. Point. Well, in that place, I was going to say we're going to end early, but instead that means that Graham will now talk for the next fifteen twenty minutes. Um, I since he's got all the energy. I, I probably I'm going to talk for the next fifteen twenty minutes because we're doing the wrap up, which normally takes about fifteen or twenty minutes. Oh um, no! I, I, Boo! No, you faked no, me no, out, Jeff. Yes. But also, Jeff, I am actually going to talk about something else. Oh, very quickly. I'm going to talk about two things very quickly. Okay. Um, thing number one, uh, one of the comics that I read very recently and very much enjoyed is uh, there's a 2080 Judge Dredd magazine crossover. This just oh, happened. Oh, yeah. I, I wanted to down- – I downloaded that the, to read it. Which yeah. is the 30th, yeah, the 30th anniversary of Judgment Day, the mm-hmm. Garth Ennis zombie strip. Um, and it's fun. It's a romp. It's, it's very much throwaway. Mm -hmm. I think anyone who's like, I hope this has a grand unifying theory of 2000 AD. It doesn't not even in the fucking slide. Um, but what it is, is it's a wonderfully disrespectful piss take on both zombies and the multiverse that I, that I very much enjoyed. And, Mm. you know, anyone who is kind of, I wouldn't necessarily say sick of both, but like sees the potential for basically combining the two for like a dumb story. Mm-hmm. Got it down. It's a lot of fun. Sounds the other fun. is another Judgment Day comic, which is uh, for Poppers. I'm doing this running gag, which is every time an issue of Avengers X Men uh, Eternal Judgment Day comes out, I talk about a different comic called Judgment Day. Right. And so the first issue was the the Garth Ennis Judge Dread Judgment Day. 
And then I did shit. What did I do after that? I definitely did the oh, I did the um, Justice League nineteen nineties crossover Judgment Day, mm. which was just like International Justice League America and Justice League Task Force. Right. Uh, then I did the Alan Moore Rob Liefeld Justice League uh, Justice Ooh. Day, mm-hmm. and then I just did Day of Justice, the nineteen nineties Jeff John crossover that turns Spectre into uh, oh, Al Jordan did- Spectre. Day of Judgment. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. You Dave, switched oh, yeah. to Justice and Judgment. Justice. Got it. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Dave, Funny. Day of Judgment is what it's called. Uh, and then this last one, I, Jeff, I spent money on the Marvel Comics adaptation of T2 Terminator <laughs> Judgment. And let me tell you, Jeff, mm-hmm. let me tell you, it was. Five ninety eight, well spent. I will say that right now. Wow. A, it's the most nineteen. It's not even the most nineteen ninety one comic ever. It's the most like nineteen eighty seven comic ever. Mm. Uh, but in a way that is honestly a joy. The the plus is Klaus Johnson's artwork is great. Mm. It's. Do you remember Johnson when he was drawing the Punisher? Yes. And it's like. Was that cartoonish, but also like angular shit and yeah. really dark inks. Mm-hmm. So that's Johnson you get on this. Hmm. So it look like it genuinely looks great. The cartooning in it is fucking amazing. Mm. Uh, also, bless him, he really does not go for like photorealism at all. There are parts that look anything like Tony Salmon's work, mm. mm-hmm. which is great. You know, like yes, give me more of that. Mm-hmm. But also. Gregory Wright's attempt to try and squash a two and a quarter hour film into like 60 pages is a fucking disaster <laughs> in such a way that's so readable. Um, because there's something you just can't do. Like Terminator, because the other thing is like, we watched T2 like literally a couple of days before I got these comics in the mail. Mm-hmm. Um, in part because when you have a 10 year old who's just into like weird shit, and you see that T2 is on HBO Max, you're like, okay, I have to put these two things together. Absolutely. And let me tell you, the 10-year-olds loved it. Oh, yeah. Lo- loved it. Yeah. Like, every single thing that to us as, like, cynical adults were like, oh, fuck, I can't believe. He loved, like, I'm not joking, he teared up at Arnold going into the lava, at the, at the, in the molten metal at the end. Especially when he gave the thumbs up. The thumbs up, like, dude. Like, no, he. Yeah, no, he genuinely teared up. I genuinely <laughs> teared up. I still genuinely tear up. You're a monster. Is your problem? I mean, sorry. Also true, but <laughs> um, no, for real. Like for yeah. real. No, that uh, like, shit would was, land was, with a ten-year-old kid. Yeah, oh my god. Yeah oh, yeah. oh my god. It did so much that you know we watched the Nets night. Terminator 2. No. The <laughs> oh, The Last Action Hero? Oh, that's very funny. And let me tell you, if you think Terminator 2 landed, The Last Action Hero landed even harder. And really? That's, that happy. I think I think Last Action Hero is a great film. I'm not being sarcastic. No, I'm no, no, no. Of Last Action Hero. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Last Action Hero, I think, landed harder. Wow. Because, again, there's a kid's sidekick, but there's a kid's yeah. sidekick who honestly is a bit of like cocky asshole mm-hmm. who basically gets out of it all right. Mm-hmm. I think nothing really bad happens to that kid in that film. No, right. Right? Yeah. And so, like, 
the 10 year old's like no this is this is fucking great like this is great he went into the film like literally he's watching and he's like if i could go into any film i'd go into this film like <laughs> completely sucked in it was <laughs> like i it was so good like it was such a joy i'm not joking anyway no, so i, I believe we watched it. terminator 2 right, right? yeah uh, and then it gets called me and i'm like okay they're like Terminator 2 is a long film, for real. It's, it oh, really for is, sure, yeah. It's quarter mm-hmm. long, it's really long. Mm-hmm. Getting in 60 pages would be a problem. There's a lot of Terminator 2 that is action sequences right. that don't necessarily translate well into comics, especially when the big gimmick is like, oh, you've got a shape-changing robot that turns into like molten metal. You can't right. really do that in a comic, right? Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. try, but don't have the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what Gregory Wright does is some of it he just like puts the script on verbatim and other bits he fills in the gaps by having like the most inane thought balloons ever oh no that the thought balloons come out of like the the um it's simultaneously exposition but it's exposition de- like delivered by the chris claremont about 3000 <laughs> from like you know midway through new mutants wow and i'm not joking when i say that that made me love the comic more I I believe it. I believe it. Because there's something really funny. There's something weirdly nostalgically pleasurable mm-hmm. about having like this kid getting shot at by like a shape changing robot, and he's like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god!" But it's the word O M I G O D. Yeah, the way that Claire yeah. is right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're like, "Yeah, great. This, yeah, of course. This is what a Marvel Comics character of this era would say." Right. Do you know? What I mean? Right. Yeah. And, yeah, and there's right. just, there is something like genuinely pleasurable about seeing Wright go. I don't, I don't fucking know what to do. Okay, I'm literally just going to stick this in here. Right, that, that's just what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it, it made it a joy. Like it genuinely made it a joy. I am wow. not going to say like you know. I wish this comic was like available in you know a hardcover edition. Everyone should read it because a large part of the reason I loved it was it's shit. Right. Exactly. It's a you're, very you're, it's, particular yeah. era of shit. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a very particular flavor of shit. It's a very particular flavor of um, like shitty knockoff. Right. Um, but it's exactly the flavor that resonated with me hard, Jeff. Mm. Really, genuinely hard. For people who also like like late eighties, early nineties Marvel, mm-hmm. and also like um, do like like weird shit like Dakota North. It's it's easy to find cheap copies of this three issue series. And right. you shoot. It's right. kind of fucking great. Again. Well yeah. It's but it's also kind again, of Claus Klaus Jansen in particular, that sort of his um like you said, t- Tony Salmon's that that sort of amazing Jansen esque style of under rendering um that somehow just kind of manages to make things pop is great when it works. So, um, yeah, no, I get it. That sounds, sounds kind of alluring. I must say. Um, yeah. While uh, be this... like me, search, search on, um, the online back issue stores. Cause I actually initially searched on eBay thing and I find it cheap. Nope. I got it cheaper of like my comic shop.com. Really? Wow. Huh. Yeah. I'll be danged. Um, but yeah, <laughs> they were like, nobody for... wants this. Okay. Yeah, they were. I think they were. They were like, "How how the fuck do we get rid of this?" Fine. Right. We'll we'll make it very cheap. Um, no, <laughs> I do. I I genuinely recommend this this like weird, 
shitty comic. Fabulous. Fabulous. Well, um, thank you for that, Graham. That is that is a, a fine note by which we can transition to uh, uh, closing. You definitely you definitely carried carried that ball. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, you you didn't think I was gonna, and I did. No, I know. I was really shocked. This is because, this is because you did work more hours than me today. <laughs> I, I had I had all this extra hours of relaxing. We watched um shit. What's it called? We watched a film called Meander. Because uh, we're getting near October. October is, as regular listeners might remember, is when Chloe just watches horror films. Like, yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, so we watched a film called Meander, which is on Amazon. Um, and Meander's is, plot description is um, someone is kidnapped and placed inside a series of tubes that, that are filled with death traps. And we were like, this looks like shit, but it will be fun shit. And let me tell you, it was terrible. It was oh so much slower and like so much lower stakes than you want mm-hmm. to the point where Chloe came up with the best review of it, it which was this is Cube's much more boring cousin Tube <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, highly, I highly don't recommend that but just me saying that reminds me something I didn't mean to ask you have you seen Confess Fletch no no I haven't and I'm Thinking that we will soon, but not super soon. Jeffrey Lester. (laughs) I fucking loved it. I loved it so hard. Mm. So much. So Mm. much. Um, I don't know. do Do you like the Fletch books? I love the Fletch books, yeah. So it's not a literal translation of those. Yeah, I saw the trailer and I was like, woof, okay. Yeah, uh uh-huh. But I feel like it gets the spirit of it Mm -hmm. really hard. Hmm. Um, Again, watching with Chloe, Chloe came up with a very good uh, description of it. And this is someone who's never read a flashback, who said, it's Dirtbag Thin Man. (laughs) Which is, it feels... It's like very sort of laid back and not taking itself too seriously, but also remarkably smart mm-hmm. the entire time. Um, and as someone who does like the Fletch books quite a mm-hmm. bit, um, for which I should thank Adam Nave, who turned me on to them a few years ago. Um, I, 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 I think that again, I think it gets the spirit. And there's something you should watch it because I kind of want to talk about what it does at the end that I really appreciate, and I think more films like this should do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a film that's very confident in basically everyone is having fun, mm-hmm. and that being enough. Mm. You know, when you just get like John Hamm and Marsha Gay Harden both like acting very broadly mm-hmm. <laughs> against each other. It's just fun to watch, right? Right. You know, right. like Roy, Roy Wood Jr. is in it is fucking great. Like, mm. it's, it's a joy is the cop. Mm. It, it's just it's a fun film of like smart, talented people having fun. Mm-hmm. That just made me go. I want them to make like twenty of these. <laughs> I want them to just make these when they're bored because this is just fun. This is just a good time one. Like, it's a good time movie. I yeah. highly, highly recommend you watch it. Mm, okay. Okay. 
that sounds great. I um, do you guys still have Shutter, or did you end up letting that? We do still, uh, we do still have Shutter. Yeah, we do. Oh, good, good. Because again, of course, it's October's almost October. <laughs> right. So uh, I just wanted to check. Um, so you guys may want to check out uh, Saloom, which uh, I just watched on Shutter, and I think is currently a Shutter exclusive. It is a um, uh, a a heist, you know, sort of that genre that always sounds good on paper and rarely works, which is um, uh, semi-criminals end up running afoul of the supernatural, uh, but it really helps that it is a group of um, African mercenaries who end up on the run and hiding out along the Saloum River in Senegal and end up staying at a place um where things start to go really wrong uh and it's i think in part because it is it's set in africa with african actors and i believe african filmmakers it is it's very it really adds so much kind of new to the um the what would, yeah, what yeah, what would be sort of a sort of a relatively uh, trope filled kind of um, type of movie, and in fact, as usually happens, um, I think the first half to two thirds of the movie that lean on sort of these mercenaries on the run part and and the stakes. And just the filmmaking and the acting is terrific. And by the time you get to, oh, okay, and here's the supernatural threat, you're kind of like, ah, uh, okay, I guess. But yeah, do um, we have to? Yeah. Well, I, I, you, I, I'd be really curious if you guys watched it and 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 to hear what you thought. But I definitely thought it was a really worthy watch, especially for that first hour hour and a half i think it's only it may only be 90 minutes no i think it is two hours anyway i i would be curious if you guys watched it definitely a very invigorating first hour hour and a half and worth putting up with the uh, that could have gone better um kind of monster filled ending so um yeah be curious to see it and kind of a good comparison i would be very curious to to hear other picks that you that you and chloe uh end up subjecting yourselves to as as october really kicks into gear here starting well as, as i've said to you as i've said to you off recording uh mm-hmm. but i don't say on recording like chloe very much wants to be back on and maybe yeah. either the next episode or maybe this episode after that mm-hmm. um might be a good time to have chloe on to talk about the the horror films that have been watched yeah, because again, Chloe's okay. much more into horror than I am, but I think that that might be something fun to do yeah. um, for October. Yeah, I think so. I think so. That sounds great. We'll shoot for that in October. Maybe not the next one, but the one after that, that'll give me a chance to actually uh, watch more than Perfect. stuff. Yeah, so I'm not like, yeah. yes, I watched no, no, this amazing yeah. horror film, Top Gun Maverick, which actually really oh, would try- work better as, an, as a horror film. Uh, yeah, I. I very much want to talk to you about that, but I also very much want to see it before then. I was fascinated by your uh, suggestion that it rips off Star Wars. Yes. In, in the final act. It uh, really I, does. I, I, mm-hmm. 
And so I very much want to see it. And I also can tell you that on behalf of uh, on behalf of my partner, uh, someone in this house definitely wants there to be a Death Star run before the end of the film. <laughs> and if that is not delivered, then uh, you might have have people to answer to. All I can say is I feel pretty confident that you guys can watch that movie and I'm not going to get yelled at very much. Um, yeah. Watch uh, it. Because it's... Again, have you, have you met Chloe? Of course you can get yelled at. Yes. Oh, I know. That's why I said very much. Like, I'm like, it seems impossible to escape. But I think actually you guys are going to be like, son of a bitch. That's the end of Star Wars. So, yeah, I'll let you... I'll let oh, you, I'm, I'll let I'm you now see. really genuinely curious. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll, we'll probably do that when Chloe comes out as well. Because, like I said, I, I really genuinely do. See, Jeff, we're, we're going to make it to two hours. You thought that we were going to, like... I know, I know. Once we start... Yeah, yeah. once we once you mentioned movies, I was like, damn it! Okay, but seriously, oh, yes. Shit. Anyway, I was, I was getting to wrap this up. Uh, yeah. I was going to say that we are going to be back uh, next week. I believe that is for correct. For the first, the first Wait What of October. Uh, and uh, let me tell you right now, whatnot. while I'm looking forward to that conversation, I'm looking forward to the one after that, which will be uh, in the middle of October, even more, mm. because that means I will have been to and survived New York Comic Con. Uh, five comic cons in like two months is Jesus a lot. God, yeah, I think yeah. it's actually three by the time New York happens. Um, yeah, I'm I'm already a little bit nervous about New York Comic Con, but there you go, because that's happening right. really soon. That's like in a week and a half. Jeff. Oof, oof. Um, yeah. yeah, no, it's it's uh, it starts on sixth, starts on sixth of October. Oh, so really? yeah, shit, yeah, we're, we're really close. Hmm. Um. So yes, we are back. We are going to be uh, doing a regular episode in a week, and then two weeks after that, we're doing a drock. Then the week after that, we're doing another wait what. That one, which is the end of the month, is going to be the one where Chloe will be on, and we will be talking horror stuff. That sounds uh, great. The drock, we're going to be talking about uh, Rishikage Case Files Volume 4. That's going to be a thing in and of itself. Uh, next week, it's a regular way what, and you know we might just be tired. What not? So you might just listen to Jeff and I both just being tired. It's, it's... I really thought that was going to be this episode, but you brought it, no, Graham. We... So you yeah. brought it too. Look at us; we're both like just <laughs> praising each other to keep ourselves awake. Um, <laughs> going to be notes for this of waitwhatpodcast dot com, and in the meantime, uh, check out our Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast. Jeff is at lazy bastard at l e z y b a s t i d. And I am at Graham M, G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Jeff, do you have anything to say about what happens when people give us money? We get incredibly happy and and hugely relieved. Um, Yes, we actually appreciate all our listeners, your ears, uh, your theories, uh, your suggestions. Um, There's just ridiculous amounts of excellent comics that I know that I have picked up. Um, thanks to you guys very directly being like, Hey Jeff, did you know about blah? Speaking of which, um, there's a Conan sale going on at Comixology. Uh, for those of you who like reading Conan digitally, I'm into it. I, I should say that, uh, that some of my hard earned Patreon gains from the, uh, kindly folk who, uh, Patreon who not only listen, uh, with their ears, 
but listen with their wallets and give us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh. Um, hugely appreciative. Definitely got me one uh, more of the Conan Epic collections and will po quite possibly help me because I know that Marvel does not have the license um, uh, after the end of this year, and they know it as well. And I'll be very curious if they're going to bother finishing up the Thomas uh, run on their Epic collections, or if I'm yes, going to have are. to jump. I'll, are they? I'll, have they announced I'll tell you it? That right now. Yeah. They're, yeah. Oh, okay. They're, they're planning to finish it entirely, I think. Oh, what? No, 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 no. So there's, they do have, I think they, if I wanted to pay, I could get the entire Conan, Marvel Conan run as a collection of Omnibuy, either in print or digital. Yeah, no, I think I think they're, I think they're finishing it with the Epic. Hang on, because they actually did announce back when they announced they didn't have the license anymore. They announced the remaining collections. Ooh, okay, okay. Uh, and I will tell you right helpful. now, the remaining collections are. Mm... Oh wait, so you're talking about you have bought Conan the Epic Collection, the original Marvel Years Volume Six. Uh, Vengeance yeah. Zaglun. Okay, that is the last one. That's the last one to print out. Oh, you motherfuckers! So hold on, let me make sure that I'm right about this, because that is the one that I just bought. Was what volume is this? The Once and Future Kings, uh, Epic Collection Volume Five, and then there's Volume Six. It's the pre-order, but that only takes it up to issue eighty-four. So those motherfuckers wow. so i've got to pivot and i've got to buy either buy the rest of the issues remaining issues which they do not have on sale as 99 cent issues i think in this current conan sale or i have to splurge money for the conan omnibus that go takes me from like 85 to 115 again also not on sale so Anyway, so yes, the fine people of Patreon, thank you, because Marvel is a bunch of cruel sons of bitches, and it's clear that the only way that I'm going to get through issue 100 um, on Conan is not by their stupid sale. Curse them. Curse their eyes. Um, but thank you, listeners. You're awesome. Also, thank you to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Uh Definitely not cursing her eyes. We appreciate her continued support of this podcast, the Galactic Realm, and I'm sure, I don't know, maybe if she gets the, the publishing rights to Conan, I mean, God knows, I fully expect Titan Books to, to, to sell me this stuff, all of this stuff, yet again, under newer, better, equally expensive covers. I mourn. I mourn so much. Graham? I also mourned for Jeff Swartz, and I think we should all just take a moment of silence, as if it was Queen Elizabeth herself. We didn't get to do any, like, Queen Elizabeth's dead jokes. Just, why not fill in the gaps for yourself? Because uh, I think it's fair to say that Jeff and I have um, have no particular, like, reference. Exactly. Neither of us are, monarch are monarchists, <laughs> to put it mildly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yes, perhaps that could uh, be, you know... Yeah. 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 No, yeah. Um, Jeff is is uh, Jeff is Jeff Wallace goes to Lion State for a week, and <laughs> there's gonna be a large large queue of English people desperate to see. <laughs> that, I mean, it's just what happens. I can't I can't tell you anything else apart from saying bye. <laughs>